Acts chapter 5, we'll begin reading in verse 17. So as remember the when Ananias and Sapphira, they they were dishonest concerning the selling of their, their property, and they were struck dead, and fear came upon all, and then because everybody was hearing it, uh, the people had brought all their sick and their lame and their diseased and those that had been uh, vexed with evil spirits, they brought them to the apostles and for the glory of God, the power of God was demonstrated in them. And it says, and remember that we uh, we did read in verse 14 of chapter 5 and verse 14, and believers were the more added to the Lord multitudes, both of men and women. So the greater thing of this entire event of chapter 5 thus far had been the declaration of the gospel, salvation of sinners, and those trusting in the Lord were bringing their sick and their lame, that others trusting in the Lord were healed and, and were cleansed and those things, and all by the power of God. There's no, the, the formula hasn't changed at, at all. The broadcasting of the gospel, God saves his people from their sins, and he heals them. Okay, And those that were saved were added to the Lord's assembly. We read that just now in verse 14. And with all that going on, verse 17, Then the high priest rose up, and all they that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees. Now those folks were, um, they were liberal. They didn't believe in a literal resurrection. Um, they, they had no spirituality in their religion. Um, they were of the, uh, again, they were of the liberal sect of the religious and were filled with indignation and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, Go, stand, and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard that, they entered into the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest came, and they that were with him, and called the council together, and all the senate of the children of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. He sent them to the prison, because that's where they were supposed to be. They were locked up in prison. But the angel of the Lord released them that they could go teach in the in the, um, in the the temple. But can you imagine their surprise when they sent to the, the prison, and no one was in there? Look, look at this. But when the officers came and found them not in the prison, they returned and told, saying, The prison truly found we shut with all safety. So yeah, the doors were locked. The, the keys were put up. Everything was there. The keepers standing without before the doors. Everybody was in place. Nobody moved. Nobody failed. But when we had opened, we found no man within. The place was vacant. It was empty. It was open. Nobody saw anybody coming in and out. There was no reason to believe that those people were not in the prison. Now when the high priest and the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these things, they doubted of them whereunto this would grow. Then came one of them, saying, Behold, the men whom ye put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then went the captain with the officers and brought them without violence. Or they, they laid a hold of them, but they, they didn't beat them, they didn't threaten them, they, they brought them peaceably. For they feared the people, lest they should have been stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and high, the high priest asked them, saying, Did not we straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than man. Men, the God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom he slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sin. And we are his witnesses of and we are his witnesses of these things, and so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. Be finishing right there, we're covering that portion. The the title of the message, The Words of This Life. The words of this life. If you go back and see what the angel of the Lord said 
to these men in verse 20, go stand and speak in the temple to this people all the words of this life. The words of this life. So they're speaking the gospel is what they're teaching. They're teaching Jesus Christ and him crucified, being the son of God, and by wicked hands he was crucified and slain. They were teaching his death, his burial, his resurrection. They were teaching the victory of his gospel. They were teaching, and you could see, and we will get to this toward the end of the passage, they were teaching according to his gospel that God had granted repentance to sinners and that he had saved his people from their sins, granting them forgiveness of sins. So they were teaching these people that they were sinners and had need of repentance and had need of forgiveness. They were teaching them the necessities there before men. So the words of this life, and that's exactly what the words of this life are. Okay. Sometimes we can overcomplicate things, but the words of this life, so says the angel of God, the angel of the Lord says that the words of this life are so, that they are the gospel. And that is exactly what those men were preaching. If you notice, too, that while the, the assembly was important and they were moving through the assembly and those that were being added to the Lord were added to the Lord in the assembly, that they were not preaching the assembly. They were preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you refer back to Acts chapter 2, they that gladly received the word were baptized and the Lord added daily to the church such as should be saved. But it was the church was not the focus of their ministry. The focus of their ministry was the gospel and the need for it, the words of this life. Everything else is words of death. Think about that, the opposite of that. The, the words of this death come in many forms. Um, it, the words of the death, for the Jews, you know, if you keep the law, that, those were the words of death because no man is justified by the law. And Paul, knowing the law, said that to the, both the churches in Galatia, and the church of Rome. No man is justified by the deeds of the law. We also know that, that uh, words unto death would be anything other than what is focused in Christ in his life. He is life. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the what? Life. So the words of this life are bound in the gospel. And anything else, though believed, may be right. They are not the words of this life. So what message was the church to carry? What message were the apostles to carry? And, and Peter, it says in verse 29, as you read, Peter was the primary spokesperson, but it says Peter and the other apostles. So they all were preaching the same message. And that was the words of this life, the gospel. So as we look at this message, the words of this life, there's some, there's some key things that we're going to, to see. And first, we're going to see that the words of this life bring indignation, that is, torment, envy, contention, and jealousy to those who do not believe it. And you know this to be true. If you say that the words of this life, that only in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ can one be saved, and it's not what you believe, it's not what you do, it's not what you think, it's not who your parents are, it's not your baptism, it's not your religion, it's not anything else, but Jesus Christ and him crucified, you're going to find yourself in an argument. And you will. And there's no doubt about that. The, the, the indignation, and you can hear it in people's voices, you can see it in their faces, and with their eyes they will pierce you because they want something to do with their salvation. It does bring indignation. And I'll tell you this, and honestly speaking, before the Lord saved you, it brought indignation to you. It irritated you. That's why you would not believe it because you would have none of it. it, can, it the jealousy of your own flesh was just like the jealousy of the flesh of everyone else. Just like all the way back to the beginning where Cain, he was jealous over Abel, wasn't he? Because the works of his hands were not pleasing to God, but the sacrifice which Abel depended upon was, picturing the gospel of Jesus Christ. It brings anger. Cain was angry with God, and he was angry with Abel, thus he slew Abel. It brings indignation. It really does. And that's the natural position. That's the natural born position to the gospel. I do it. No, I will do it. I will make my way. It may bring indignation of violence. We, uh, we, we read in verse 18 
that that they that they did lay their hands on them, but they, not by violence this time. It says that that they that they that they that they um, that they well they did lay their hands on them in verse 18, but then in verse 26 they did it softly. Then the captain, uh, the officers brought them uh, without violence. So so you can you can maybe extrapolate from that that the first time they did bring them and they roughed them up a little bit but then the next time they didn't rough them up because now they know this thing is growing so indignation can be violent and it can be non-violent but it's still there there are many that that in their protesting they can get angry and coarse and and pace and, and and blow up on the matter and other times they can they can softly have indignation but it's indignation nonetheless Sometimes it's it's outraging. Sometimes it's enraging, you see. But in either case, there will be contention. What do we mean by that? Look again at what these people said. Even when it was done softly and without violence, look at verses 27 and 28 again, the indignation here. They said, did not we straightly command you that you should not teach in his name? Sometimes indignation, you cut that stuff out. Is simply sometimes because I said so. Now, because I said so, we should be respectful of other people's personal space. And you can irritate somebody, and I can irritate somebody tremendously, but they weren't going to the council and preaching the gospel. They were going to the people and preaching the gospel, and the council was irritated by it. They were indignant about it. So because I said so, because I said so, that sounds like it's a, it's a soft indignation, and, and maybe they should have been amiable to that. Maybe they should have conceded to that. But because I said so, you, you, you see the apostles' response. They said, we're going to fear God and obey God and not man. So when man says, because I say so, stop the gospel, then that is no reason at all to stop the gospel. Now, one may say, don't, I, I don't want to hear any more of this matter. And to them, you may dust your feet. I'm glad no one dusted their feet with me, but to them, you may dust your feet. If that door is closed, perceivably, the Lord can open doors. But that is no reason at all to stop the words of life in general and going forward. But indignation, sometimes people can say, you know what, I don't want to hear it anymore. I don't want to hear it anymore. And that is a form of indignation. That is, a, that is an outcrying of the flesh saying, my, my flesh contending with the gospel of Jesus Christ is so irritated by the jealousy of the glory of God, so irritated that I do not want to hear it. And you may be, you may be faced with those types of, that type of indignation. I know I have been. And again, I know I was on the other side of that, expressing such things. Thank God. There were others that obeyed God and continued to tell me the gospel. God saved me. He used the broadcasting of other men. Sometimes indignation or contention comes at because you cause all this strife and division. Look, continue reading with me in verses, verse 28. Did not we straightly command you that you should not teach in his name? And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. You are causing division. You are causing strife. You are causing uproar. You see how you see how it's almost a form of gaslighting that the people who are bringing the words of life and salvation and the and the glory of of God Almighty and Jesus Christ are accused of being the troublemakers. They're accused of being the strife makers and and the divisive ones, rather than those that are forbidding them to speak of such things. You see, there will be a contention, but sometimes that contention comes and there is division. The Lord Jesus said that he came to bring division and houses would be divided. But thank God that there are those of light with the glorious gospel, with, with the good news and the glad tidings of the words of this life. But evil shall not prevail. And we know that evil shall not prevail because, again, the angel of the Lord told them to go, to stand, and to speak. Okay, we're going to get to that in just a minute. But this contention, the contention against the words of life, will be because I, uh, because I said so, be quiet. Or because you're creating problems, be quiet. Or maybe sometimes they say because you have caused a ruckus, you have caused a rebellion, verse 28 again, and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. And that would be from Rome. 
You see, Caesar at that time was a bloodthirsty man. And any time there was uproar at all, that, that's why they tried to, to, to quench. You can read that in the book of John uh, after Lazarus was raised from the dead. They tried to quench desperately the, the idea that Jesus Christ is indeed Lord. And all that, that, that disunity that, uh, that they perceived was coming because of that, because they knew Caesar was going to come with a heavy hand and make sure everything got real quiet. So they're blaming those with the words of life for all that that problem this man's blood will, will, will come upon us and it'll be your fault completely glossing over the idea that life and life eternal had been spoken can you see how how selfish the indignation is can you can you see how selfish it would be for someone to say, no, do not declare those things in my house, for that will bring strife, that will bring uproar, that will upset my apple cart if the words of life are declared to those that I know and love and care about. What contention, what jealousy, indignation. Well, it's a position of an unsafe person. It's a, it's a, position, it's a position of one that is totally depending on themselves. That's a condition of those that hate the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's what the apostles, that's what the early church was up against in Acts chapter 5. Many times it doesn't take that much to get us to be quiet though, does it? Sometimes we, we're quiet, sometimes I'm quiet, and nobody tells me to be quiet because I said so. Sometimes I'm quiet and nobody has says, you know what, you're causing too much of an uproar, too much division in this place. No, sometimes nobody has to tell me to be quiet and I'm still quiet. That's a shame on me. It really is. Children of God, what did the angel of the Lord say unto these people while they were in, while they were bound up? Verses 19 through 21, the first part. But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, Go, stand and speak in the, in the temple to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard that, they entered into the temple early in the morning and taught. Go, stand and speak. The spirit and angel, or the messengers of God, will advocate the gospel. Will advocate the gospel. There are some that they, they die on many hills. They die on the, on the hill of King James only. Well, I, I preach out of the King James and won't preach out of anything else. But people were being saved before 1611. I don't know if you all knew that or not. They were. God is not depending on the King James Bible to save people. That's what I preach from. That's what I use. But I'm to advocate the gospel. If I were to discuss any other version, it would be because that it, that it brings repute or it lessens the need and necessity of the gospel. That, that, that would be the problem with it. The spirit, the spirit, an angel, a messenger of God advocates the gospel and that is first place. That is first place in everything. Look in John, if you would please. John chapter 15. John chapter 15. He says in verse 26, But when the Comforter has come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. What's he testifying of? Jesus Christ, his gospel. That is the message of the Spirit of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ. And everything else flows from that. It's not separate from that and looks back toward it. If, we're, if, if the Spirit is to lead us in understanding of the assembly, it's for the glory of God according to His gospel and His authority that we would go preach and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, depending He'll be with us until the end of the age. It's Christ-centered, even in everything that we teach. The Spirit and the angel and the messenger of God will advocate the gospel in everything. The Spirit... An angel or messenger of God will advocate obedience to God. Look at what he says. Go stand and speak. That's exactly what Jesus Christ said. You will go, you will witness of me, you shall be my witnesses. The Spirit of God never leads contrary to the command of Jesus Christ. It's always consistent with the command of Jesus Christ. And the command is meant to be obeyed. Okay? Obedience. 
So whether in the face of indignation, soft indignation, or violent indignation, or words because I said so, or because you cause a division, or because you cause a ruckus, or whatever, the Spirit of God leads the children of God to be obedient unto God according to the gospel of Jesus Christ. If anyone discusses that the, the Lord's assembly has failed, then all that has had to have failed as well. And I don't believe that it has. I believe the Spirit of God continues as the comforter, uh, just like what, what we were led in, in the song service, as we sang, the Spirit abides and shall continue to abide among his, his assembly. The Spirit and the angel, the messenger of God, will open prison doors. Look at that. He literally opened prison doors, which is a mysterious thing because those guards were standing there all along the way. You would think they would see something like that. So wonderful is the Spirit of God that he does open doors to do what? Does he open doors to so you can advance yourself in your job? Does he open doors that, that you can get what you want? Does he open doors so you can finally afford that car that you needed? He opened doors, opens doors according to the gospel. It says, look at verse 19, the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, go stand and speak in the temple. That's why he opened the prison door for the furtherance of the gospel. Literally, the spirit of God in that day and today for the gospel's sake does open doors. So if God, the spirit, the angel of the Lord does open doors for the furtherance of the gospel and then they that heard that did not enter into the temple? Well, I believe that we're ordained to good works. And I believe that we're saved for a purpose and we're added to the Lord's assembly for a purpose and that doors are opened for a purpose. How sinful would it have been for these men having been liberated and commanded then to be disobedient to the command? It would have been sinful, wouldn't it? But that day, for that reason, for that purpose, a door was opened, doors were opened that they would be obedient unto God. And I believe that doors are open for us every day as well. The same angel of the Lord opens doors, though not literal, though I'm not in a prison. Figuratively, the Lord does open doors. The, the angel of the Lord does open doors that we would go, stand, and speak the words of this life. Well, what do you mean? I don't understand that. Well, literally every encounter you have is an open door to the testimony of the gospel. It's an open door to the words of this life. But be careful, don't speak words unto death. What do I mean by that? You might say things that are true. I can counsel, I can counsel unsaved people on, on what I know in the book of Revelation and how bad it's going to be. And if they believe that, it won't save them. Those aren't words of life. What's the words of life? The gospel of Jesus Christ. Those are the words of this life. Everything else doesn't matter. Everything else. They, they, can, they can believe everything in the book of Revelation, but if they don't believe the first three chapters, specifically that Jesus Christ was dead and buried and rose again and lives forevermore, amen. He is the Almighty, He that which was and which is and is to come. Then none of the rest of that stuff will help them. It really won't. No. Literally. Literally, the Lord opens doors, and I believe we're to testify the words of this line. I thank God that he opened my prison door. I, I was in prison in sin. I was in prison in, in, in my own indignation against God. And he opened the door. He set me free. He liberated me. And thus, with the words of this life, by the power of God and by the Spirit of God, he granted me faith in Jesus Christ. Repentance thereunto. Save me from my sins. Thank God for that. The Spirit, the messenger of God, will make a way for obedience. He doesn't make a way for disobedience. In the book of James, chapter 1, it speaks of, uh, of, of, of trials and temptation of this life that's common to all men. And he says, if you look in, in the book of James, James chapter 1, look there just for a minute. James chapter 1, just kind of stepping off the path just for a moment here. James chapter 1 and verse 12, blessed is the man that endureth temptation. The stuff that's just regular to all, to all men. For when he is tried, he shall receive a crown of life 
Now, succumbing to temptation, bending to temptation, running from temptation, when indignation comes, when fury comes and contention comes, running away from it or sidestepping it, that's not enduring temptation. But enduring temptation, that went through trial, going through trial, granting that, that receiving that crown of life which the Lord hath promised to him that love him, that a true measure of the love that one has toward God is desiring to see even through temptation and even through trial and even through indignation being obedient unto God rather than unto men. You see, it's easy to, to endure temptation when there's no temptation. But if you're doing what God has told you to do, these men, it might not have been their favorite thing that day to go into the temple. They might have thought they had other things to do. But obediently they stood in the temple declaring the words of this life. The spirit, the messenger of God will make a way of obedience. Well, well how then can a child of God be disobedient? We well, must be that we are living contrary to God. That's what disobedience is. If a child is given a directive from a parent and then they do contrary wise, that means they're living in disobedience toward their parents. That, that's just, that's easy to, to make sense out of. So then children of God, the spirit, the messenger of God will make a way for the people of God to be obedient unto God and declare things that, that, are, that are glorifying unto God according to the gospel of Jesus Christ. What were, what, what were they to do? Don't overcomplicate it. What were they to do? What, what, was obe what did obedience look like in Acts chapter 5? Don't overcomplicate it. Verse 20. Go, stand, and speak. Go, stand, and speak. And I believe those are our directives today. That, 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 is, a, that is a quick uh, elementary uh, summary of the, God, of the commission that Jesus Christ gave in Matthew chapter 28. Go, stand, and speak. So the word go means to pursue or order your life after such a thing or move or walk or journey in such a way. Go. Don't stay. Don't remain. Don't rest on your elbows. Don't, don't form a game plan. You've already been given a game plan. Go. The Lord Jesus Christ said go. They were not to go and do their own thing. They were already given a thing to do. They were already commissioned as a people. Go. Go. So, child of God, in the, in the face of indignation of sinners, when people are violent or nonviolent or they, they make all types of accusation, the Spirit of God, the messenger of God, the angel of the Lord, with opening of doors, tells his people, Go. Revelation chapter 3. Really cool stuff. Revelation chapter 3. Verse 7. And to the angel of the church of Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth and shutteth and no man openeth. Isn't that exciting? I believe that God Almighty has given an open door. Though there's been indignation, certainly you can pick up a history book, there has been indignation for the past 2,000 years. Yet here we are. God Almighty has provided an open door to his assembly that it would continue. For what purpose? That it would continue and pat ourselves on the back? Certainly not. The purpose of that open door is that we would indeed go. And they would broadcast the gospel of Jesus Christ. But look, he says, go stand. That word stand is also important. That means to be firm or be established. To hold your place, to keep your place, to be immovable and firm. To be there without hesitation or wavering. You go and you stand. Now, providentially, I thank God. He gave them a place to go and to stand then. And he has given us a place to go and to stand now. Some may ask, well, why in Silsby, Texas? Because that's where we are. Go and stand. Wherever you are, that's where you are, right? Go and stand. I believe that, that, that they were to stand not by their own ability, but by according to God's promise. 
He said, you will be witnesses of me. He said that in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. We are to, we are to go and stand according to his promises, broadcasting what? The words of this life, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, speak. Tell them or declare unto them. Voice it. He didn't say, go stand and go write your own new version of everything that's hip and trendy and whatever. We'll notice that as Peter gets into things toward the end of our passage, that he tells them the exact same thing he told them back in chapter 2 and in chapter 3 and in chapter 4. The message isn't changing at all. The men are sinners. They laid hands of their wicked hands upon the Son of God who died and was raised up by the right hand of God. And by his gospel, sinners are forgiven of their sins and granted repentance. They're granted life. The message didn't change, nor should it. So, children of God, in the face of indignation, we're to go, we're to stand, and we're to speak. They entered. Look at that. Obedience, verse 21. And when they entered, when they that heard that, and when they heard that, they entered into the temple. May God grant us and give us such a, such a passion of being obedient to the Lord that when we are told to go, stand, and speak, that we go, stand, and speak in every place. Now, they had a specific place. He said, go into the temple. I'm not told to go into the temple, but I am told to go into all the world, right? Go ye into all the world. Didn't he tell us that? For sure. So the world starts where? In my home, broadcasting the gospel in my home. But also those, if you remember the concentric circles, the, the bullseye circles of Acts chapter 1, uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth, and then all those that are in our inner circle, our outer circle, those that are that are um, that acquaintance or those we have contact with, and, and then going and stretching ourselves abroad in, in every way declaring the words of this life. That was the message, and that was what they were to do. It's a great mystery that happened there between chapter 21 and 24. Can you imagine that? Again, they, they went in there looking for people who were supposed to be bound prisoner, and nobody saw anybody come in or out. There were no tunnels dug. Uh, th th there was no escape from Alcatraz. There was no... There was no Shawshank Redemption. There were no people tunneling out. There were no people scaling out or whatever. The, the prison was intact. And yet these men were gone. I surely believe that the Lord can deliver from dangers and harms and contention and an indignation. I believe he can and does do that. I believe a, a pretty great example of that historically was those old pilgrims and making it Make it, making it from Denmark over here across seas, and they were on the run, but they found passage to get over here. The, the, the Welsh and the Dutch Baptists of old. I, I think it's an amazing thing. And then given colony there in Rhode Island, amazing thing how the Lord can deliver from dangers and harm, yet dangers and harm were there. I believe the fact that the Lord's assembly has survived unto this day is a testimony that the same God that opened the doors back then opened the doors today. I, I believe that. Can you imagine? I mean, has there been a greater hated group of people? I mean, there's a contest, I guess, between the Jews and the Lord's assembly, but both of those groups have been hated historically ever since their existence. Esau tried to kill Jacob before they were born. And yet there's Jews on this earth today, and the Lord's assembly is here today, and both by the promise of God. It's a great mystery that we're here today, but the Lord will make a way. And, and just as miraculous as it was in that day, I believe it's just as miraculous today. How does he, how does he continue his assembly? Well, what, what's needed to have his assembly? What's needed? How about people? Right? Not just any kind of people. What kind of people? Saved people? People delivered from the bondage of sin? People who are living, collected examples of the miraculous work of the new birth according to what? The words of this life, the gospel of Jesus Christ. What a testimony of the glory of God that he has kept his people 
specifically his church made of, of dead people made alive, just as he promised he would. Oh, it's a great mystery, but here we are. It's wonderful. The Lord will never lie or be counted unfaithful. He will make a way, he will open doors, and he will continue his people that we would go, stand, and speak. You see here that these people, it says that they were doubting or they were wondering. In verse 24, they doubted. They wondered what would come of it. How would this grow? But you know, they wanted to stop it. They, they doubted of them whereunto this would grow. They wanted to stop it. You know they wanted to stop it because the next thing they did is they, they got them with nonviolence and they wanted to stop it. We told you to stop. Stop. But there it continues. The gospel, verses 29 through 30. Let's read it again. Or 29 through 32. Let's read it again. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than man. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom he slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be the prince, to be a prince and a savior, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things. And so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obeyed him. Obedience. First thing out of their mouth. We ought to obey God rather than men. We're going to obey God. We're, we're not going to obey you. We're going to obey Him. They submitted to the authority of God Almighty. And that's what declaring the words of this life is, is submitting to the authority of God Almighty. Conforming to His will. It might be my will to say something else to a sinner. But His will is that I declare the gospel of Jesus Christ, declaring repentance and forgiveness of sins. That's the will of God, is that his people, his church, would declare his gospel. They could do nothing else. They had no other options. And we can do nothing else, and we have no other options. Again, what saves? What are the words of this life? The words of this life are the gospel of Jesus Christ. Men with less authority will attempt to stand in the way. You see point number one, they bring the indignation. They're going, they're going to try to stop that. Sometimes people can try to stop that by changing the subject. Or sometimes they can try to stop that with adding whatabouts. What about, what about this? What about that? What about this? And, and trying to change the discussion. No, the discussion that is needed for an unsaved person is salvation. The words of this life. Anything past that is irrelevant. It's irrelevant. The gospel. What does it say? The God of our fathers. That is, the God of promise. The God of Abraham. The God of Isaac. The God of Jacob. The God of Moses. The God that delivers. The God that saves. The God that by his power draws. The God that by his power changes. Makes from dead to life. The God that according to his power overhauls. The God of promise, you see. The God of their fathers. Fathers. Sinners put their hands on the Lord Jesus Christ. Sinners did that. He says the God of our fathers raised up Jesus Christ. He resurrected him. But sinners put their hands on the Lord, and that's what they, by their indignation, had done. And sinners today would have done the exact same thing. I would have done the exact same thing. I would have put my hands on the Lord. My indignation toward God would have caused me to drive the nails into his hand and pierce his side and thrust that crown on his head. I would have done it. That's the indignation of men. But God, the God of our fathers, he says, raised Jesus up. You think about the love of God the Father. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Think about the love of God the Father. That he would subject his Son to his wrath to raise him up and make many sons unto glory. Think about God's love. The power that raised him from the dead. He declared unto him the love of he declared unto them the love of God, the grace of God in the face of sinners. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you slew and hang on a tree. You by wicked hands, you have assaulted God Almighty, he says. God raised him from the dead. 
You see the exaltation of Christ, the dignity and honor of Christ by the right hand or by the power of God that, that he was raised up. He was to be the prince or the chief or the chief ruler, chief authority, chief captain, chief everything. To be a savior or deliverer. Well, that would have been good news to those in bonds. But to those who rested in themselves, those that were driven by indignation, that was furious words. Oh, you mean I can't save myself? You mean I'm not good enough? You mean I don't believe the right thing? Does it make people furious today? It sure does. Why did he do it? Well, toward men. He did it for the glory of God, but the purpose toward men, why did Jesus Christ die and rise again? To give repentance to Israel. It's important. That word give means to bestow or grant. Okay? Not offer, give. Repentance means a change of constitution or direction. So one does not muster it, or one does not do repentance. Oh yeah, I repented. No, God grants repentance. He gives repentance. It's a gift. It's not earned or merited in any way. So the gospel of Jesus Christ, the words of this life, are a gift of repentance towards sinners, a change from, from their indignation against God toward a love and adoration toward God, a fleeing to Christ for refuge. He also died and was risen again to give or bestow forgiveness or release or pardon from sins. Sin is breaking of the law. So someone does not pardon themselves. You ever known a death row inmate to pardon themselves? No, the governor must. The higher authority must grant release. So then if there is forgiveness of sins, the, that one who is offended must grant forgiveness. Sometimes we think that we can tell people they must forgive us and we can grant forgiveness to ourselves. But no, with God, it must be granted from him. You can't make God do anything, but he gives or he grants forgiveness of sin. One cannot muster forgiveness and one cannot get forgiveness or do forgiveness or reform unto forgiveness. But forgiveness of sins is a gift of God and the only way one can be forgiven of their sins is according to the words of this life, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Knowing this assembly is the right assembly won't get you forgiveness of sins. It won't. Knowing that, that this world will come to an end, knowing that God is sovereign won't grant you forgiveness of sins. What will grant forgiveness of sins? Jesus dying for me. That is where forgiveness of sins is granted. That is where forgiveness of sins, eternal life and repentance is based on Jesus Christ dying for me. He says we must be witnesses of these things. We are his witnesses, verse 33. 32, rather. Those who were saved, particularly those of the Lord's assembly, they were witnesses of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, they were eyewitnesses, many of those apostles. Remember, they, they were there from the beginning, of, uh, from the baptism of John until the, the time he was taken up. They were eyewitnesses of those things. I'm not an eyewitness. But I am a witness according to faith. God granted faith and repentance and forgiveness of sins. The new birth. We are witnesses, children of God, and we are witnesses in his assembly. Those that were saved were to be witnesses of these things, and we are to be witnesses of those things. Sometimes we can busy our lives with everything else in the world. But my life is to be all about testifying of him, the words of this life. The Holy Spirit is the Father's gift of witness of Jesus Christ to them that obey him. Look at that. He says this. And so also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. We just read in John chapter 15 that he would send the Holy Ghost or the, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, upon his assembly, and he would testify of Jesus Christ, right? So the the they, these people were already believers. Back in Acts chapter 2, when, when Peter said, Repent and be baptized and you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, he's not saying if you repent, the Lord will save you and give you the Holy Spirit. 
He's saying, being born again by the Spirit and added unto the assembly, then you will be given the Holy Spirit as a gift to be a true and faithful witness unto Jesus Christ. Are all believers supposed to testify of the work of God? Yes, they are. Importantly, though, I wholeheartedly believe But those who are obedient unto the Lord in His assembly have a special gifting of the Holy Spirit to be a witness of Jesus Christ. I fully believe that. If you look at those churches in Asia, every one of those promises are in Jesus Christ. It says they'll be robed in white. And you look at toward the end, of, uh, uh, you look in chapter 19, it talks about the bride. I believe those who are faithful witnesses of Jesus Christ through His assembly. They go, they stand, they speak, they live for God Almighty, obeying God rather than men. I believe those are those who are faithful by the power of God, by the grace of God, to be of His bride. You want to be in the bride? Speak the words of this life. Through His assembly, go, stand, and speak. Live it. Don't just talk about it. Live it. It would be a delight for me that every member of this assembly be of, of the bride of Christ for his glory, for his honor. Children of God, speak the words of life. If what you say to dead sinners is believed, if I, if I say something to a sinner and they believe it, would they have life? That's a great indicator for speaking the words of life. If they will not, if they don't hear, if they believe what you say and are still dead, then those aren't the words of life. And I understand the Spirit of God makes alive. I'm not saying you can save anybody, neither can I. What am I saying? The gospel. That is the message. There's no finer message available to them. You can tell them about everything you know. There's no finer a me message available to sinners than the gospel of Jesus Christ and that it brings repentance and forgiveness of sins in his death, burial, and resurrection. The words of this life bring indignation to believers. It really, uh, to unbelievers, that is, to unbelievers. To believers, it's joy. Go stand and speak. Go stand and speak. Speak the gospel. Be obedient in this administration. Peter's message hasn't changed. You notice that from chapter to chapter to chapter, his message hasn't changed yet, has he? And it won't. Well, the, these are the people. Look, it's the high priest in verse 17. It's the high priest and the Sadducees and it's the council and the Senate. Oh, they heard that already. Maybe I should, maybe Peter could have thought, you know what, I need to change it up a little bit. And that, that way they'll, they'll hear it from a different point of view. Did Peter change his message at all whatsoever? Oh, they're religious. They know that already. They don't need to hear that. They're religious. They know. Well, have you ever talked to anybody more religious than the high priest of Israel? I haven't. They weren't more religious than the high priest, the council, the senate, the Sadducees, and whoever. So if you're talking to somebody and they've heard it before, tell them again. Tell them again, tell them again, tell them again. I've told you all the message that, that one preached unto me. Look to Jesus. Three words. But it was this gospel that was preached. They're religious. They've heard it before. Tell them again. Tell them in simplicity. Tell them plain. Don't muddy up the water. Don't, don't go chasing rabbits. Tell them the words of this life. And that's exactly, when we read verses 29 through 32, that's exactly what Peter said. The words of this life. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, He raised Him up from the dead after you put your hands on Him. You're wicked, you're sinners. He died and rose again to grant forgiveness and repentance of sins. Or repentance and forgiveness of sins. How simple, how basic, how needed. It's the power of God that saves, not my, not my wording. It's not up to you or I to change the message. Peter didn't change the message. It's God's message. So a, a preacher or a herald of old, what they would do, they would go to these little towns and they would stand on their stump and they would say, Hear ye, hear ye, the word of the king. 
But that messenger wouldn't say, hear ye, hear ye, my version of the king's word or my version of this or let me give you a synopsis. No, he would open it up. He would read it. He would scroll it back up and put it away. It's the king's message. What's the king's message? What John preached, what Jesus preached, what Paul preached, what Peter preached. Repent and believe the gospel. That's the message. Be obedient. The Lord will grant repentance. I don't grant repentance. The Lord does that. The Lord will grant forgiveness of sins. I don't grant forgiveness of sins. The Lord grants forgiveness of sins. And he does that according to the words of this life. What is that? The gospel. Cannot reiterate it enough. The gospel of Jesus Christ. The Lord will add to the church such as should be saved. If I add anybody, it will be a disaster. The Lord will add. The Lord will add. I believe they were happy to do these things. So should we be. We're not going to get to it just now. But look at verse 33. When they heard that, they were cut to the heart and took counsel to slay them. You know what? It's not always going to be fun. It's not always going to be the best day of your life. You know, when we think emotionally, when you tell people the words of this life. Friends, family, loved ones, whoever might cut out to destroy you. But they were obedient to God. And how wonderful a child of God does it is it in the presence of God to be found faithful. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. What blessed words. May the Lord grant us such a desire to be faithful to him in the face of indignations and simply declare his word, depending on him, trusting on him. Sinner, I want you to hear that gospel yet one more time. You're a sinner, and I know that. I know that because you're dying and you're just like you were born of sinners and, and sinners are born and they die and they're born and they die after, after the similitude or the likeness of their parents and they're born and die. And that's going to happen until the end of all things. There was one that was born of a woman yet without sin. His name is Jesus. Jehovah is salvation. He is God in the flesh. I say is because he never was anything. He is God in the flesh. Being God in the flesh, he took the sins of his people upon himself. He, he suffered the wrath of God by substitution. He suffered the wrath of God. He died, was buried, and rose again and given all glory by God the Father. He, he is to be praised and adored. And in his death, burial, and resurrection, though I am a sinner and though his people are sinners, yet they are given. Given. He gave. To give. He gave them. Forgiveness of sin. Release. Pardon. He gave them or gives them repentance, changing from indignation against God to adoration toward God. I would encourage you to repent by the power of God, with God-given repentance, to repent, to, to turn from self, from turn from your anger toward God and turn toward Jesus Christ in his sufferings, in his resurrection, in his glory. Repent. Being forgiven of Jesus Christ. Submitting unto him. Being obedient unto him. Adoring him. One can't and one won't of the flesh because adoration of self is too high, it's too great. It is by the power of God, though, that sinners are saved. Thank God that God hath exalted with his right hand Christ to be prince and savior, deliverer, friend of sinners. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.